0: Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We've been going through the book of Malachi for about two months now. Today's the last message. It's the last words of the Old Testament before God went silent as far as direct communication to the people for about 470 years. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The last words of the Old Testament says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet." On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. My Father, Lord, we thank you that you are holy. And we thank you for the freedom that we have to gather today and to worship you and to lift you up. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come right now as we look at the last words that you gave in the Old Testament, as we look forward to the truth of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work in our lives, let us be obedient to your word, and that you would draw people to yourself and remind us of your great love for us. Lord, I pray that you be with those who are struggling this morning, emotionally or physically or spiritually. Holy Spirit, I pray that you comfort them, encourage them, correct them, whatever God you need to do in our lives. I pray that you would do it and help us be willing and thankful that you would interact and you would come to us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Malachi, is, it's wrapping up the end of the book. It's the last Words. Whenever I think of last words, I think of the last people's things, the last people say when they die, and then the last things that are said at someone's funeral when they're spoken. And I've spoken at a number of funerals in the last few years, and a few months ago I was speaking at a funeral of someone I didn't know. And whenever I do someone's funeral that you don't know, it's a little different. but I always want to share the gospel, and I didn't know where the family was, and I wanted to comfort them with the good news of Jesus. And so as I was speaking and just sharing a message about life and thinking about our own lives and death and the gospel and who Jesus is, there was someone in the middle, and I could just tell as—and I was not screaming, I was not yelling, but I could just tell as I was mentioning the gospel story— and mentioning sin and what Jesus has done for us. He just kept squirming, and he kept squirming. You could tell, you know, when somebody's not liking what you're saying. And so at the end of the funeral, I I stood off to the side, and as people were walking past me, I was just smiling. And um, then this guy came past me, and, you know, when you can tell when somebody wants to say something to you, and so he walks past me, he just stops, and he goes, "Uh, thanks thanks for the hellfire and brimstone, and just kept walking by took me a little off guard, and there's a part of me that thought, yes, if you got that in a way that you heard the truth, but that's not what I was doing. I was not trying to give hellfire and brimstone. I was trying to give uh, just a message of the gospel. When you read the last four, last few verses of Malachi, it seems like there's a lot of doom and judgment and curse in this. It doesn't sound like a very loving passage when you read this. It sounds like a lot of... Brimstone and fire, and it is what I want to encourage us, this is not how we should read this. The last chapter of Malachi is extremely about the love that God has for us. There are a lot of people who would read this book and say, this is why I don't like the God of the Old Testament, because whenever you read the God of the Old Testament, he's always about judgment and wrath and cursing. I mean, look at this. He says, uh, he says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all evildoers will be stubble. And then he says in verse 3, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. These aren't very kind or loving-sounding things. And he ends it with, Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That doesn't sound like very loving, kind words, does it? And people will read this and they'll say, You know what, this is why I don't like God. Because... What kind of a God is this? He's always talking about wrath and judgment and anger. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. And so some people will just outright say, I don't like God. I don't believe in God. He just wants to hurt us. And then there are kinder people who say, You know, I don't like the God of the Old Testament but I don't mind the God of the New Testament, because I read the New Testament. It's all about, he's just love and love and love. And that, that God, it's, a soul, it's not even the same God. It can't be, because he, he would never question me. He would never judge me. He would never uh, say I should change. He would just love me. I mean, look at the last few verses in Revelation. It's just grace and peace, totally different. What kind of God is this? Is he schizophrenic? Is this just this this old, did he he change somewhere? Were we just all about wrath before and then he decided to get nicer? And what kind of a God is this anyway who would create people, like it says in the beginning, and then they mess up and he curses them, and then he talks to them and he says, hey, you can come back, and he sends his son to die on a cross, but yet he still condemns people? I mean, come on, what kind of a God is that? First of all, I would suggest that what God is doing in Malachi chapter 4 for us is he's like being a good parent. If your son or your daughter is out on the road playing, you're not going to look out at the window as a good parent and say, that's good, and let him keep playing in the road while cars are flying down the highway. No, a good parent is going to say, listen, Don't go play in the road. Because if you play in the road, cars fly down the highway and they kill people. Here's some stories about some kids who were playing in the road that were killed. I don't want this to happen to you. So don't do that. That's what God is doing as a good God. He's warning us. And some people will accept that. They say, well, I can see that God's a good God. I can see that he's warning us that, that he doesn't want us to get hurt. I can see that. That makes sense. But, if God is really who He says He is, and if He's really all-powerful, why does there have to be any condemnation anyway? Why can't He just do something where it just takes everybody, and it's all going to be good? If He's such a great God, why does there have to be any kind of judgment? Why does there have to be any kind of curse? And you meet people like that. And I would say and suggest... God, we need to recognize that God is very loving, but He is also very moral, holy, and just. And we cannot forget about the holiness and the justice of God. Because if a just and holy God allowed rebellion against Himself, against His own creation, and did not deal with it, He would not be holy or just, and He wouldn't be. God, and so we have to see that God is one. He is holy. He's just and he's loving and he's mighty to save. God wants to save. That's his whole heartbeat as he wants people to say, be saved he wants people out of the street of destruction and he wants to give them hope and that's what he's calling for in malachi chapter 4 he's, it's all about love even though there are these really harsh words in here about doom and destruction and curse and being trampled on by this god so this morning i want us to I want to encourage you and comfort you in the love of god i want to confront some of you with the love of god I also want to encourage us as Christians, sometimes we shy away from the dark stuff in the Bible, don't we? You know, we, we look like if, if, you, if we believe that there's a God that would judge people, people will think we're crazy, we're, we're nuts. And that, that's the people that are out in the streets holding up signs, judgment day, doomsday. And I think our, wor- our world is weary of doomsday events and doomsday situations. And they look at people who believe this and think they're going to be out there with bullhorns holding up signs, thinking, you're going to go, you're going to burn. When I ran the Chicago Marathon uh, two years ago, I was running through. Everybody's dressed casually. I think I mentioned this before. Everybody's all dressed casually, watching, cheering people along. But in this crowd of about a million people, I saw three guys all dressed in these white shirts with ties, holding up these signs. Judgment Day is coming. They didn't look friendly at all. Uh, They looked very scary. And I think if we... if That's how the world will look at us if we believe that God is a God of holiness and justice. And they say, that's the God that you serve. He's not a God of love. But I think from Malachi 4, I want to encourage us. that We don't need to shy away from the truth of who God is. Because this passage is all about a very loving, good God who's calling us to get out of the road. And he's calling you to get out of the road of distraction. The dark facts don't shade the love of God, but they shout the love of God. When you see the dark facts of Scripture, they don't shade God's love. They shout God's love. So let's look at Malachi 4, 1 through 6. Verse 1 says this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming and shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. As a good God, the first thing he's doing in this passage to this people is he's saying, hey, this is a fact. The fact is there is a judgment coming. This, This is just a fact of coming future for us. And he gives these very descriptive terms. I mean, he could have said to us, listen, there's going to be a day when there's going to be some judgment. Things are going to change around here. And he, he could have said it that way. He didn't say it that way, did he? Does he? God, the Holy Spirit uses very, very expressive words. He says there's going to be, it's going to be like an oven. It's going to be like burning. It's going to be hot. There's going to be, it's going to be setting them ablaze in that first verse. Why does he do that? Why does the Holy Spirit write the Bible that way and telling these people this message? Why did he have Malachi say it that way? Why didn't he just say to these people, hey, there's a a judgment coming? The reason I believe the Holy Spirit said it that way is because he wants to wake us up to the reality that's coming. He wants to shake us from just the commonplace assumption that this is the way it's always going to be, that your life is just going to be this way. He wants to shock our sensibilities and he wants to shake us free from some kind of false security that you're going to make it through this life without any judgment on how you live this life or how you make how you go through this life. He uses some shocking imagery of fire, a burning oven, very very hot. He's trying to wake these people up. But he's doing it to remind them that it doesn't have to be that way for them he's being a good god this is what we would expect you know when you go to the zoo you know they say don't feed the animals and they got some animal chewing on something you know and you're like ah, the x in it you don't want to be the guy in that picture with the x over it's a good warning to not be that way or you know parents will do this your kids get your, your, their phones and they start driving and then, uh, well, they'll start saying, hey, this is a picture of what happens if you text if you drive. And they show this car completely smashed into, don't be this way. This is, it's very visual. I want you to see this. I want you to recognize what it looks like when somebody texts in their car and they drive and they get hit by a truck. And they're doing it to wake up their teenagers or to wake us up and say, no, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to text. And God's doing the exact same thing for us. This is a call to full out repentance. He's saying this is what's going to happen. It's a fact. There is a judgment coming. There will be a day. There is a day coming. that will be like a burning oven. It will set, God will set things ablaze. And God's coming back as a judge. But he's telling us that now, and he's telling you that now. On the last Sunday in January, in 2013, he's telling you that now, so that you can meet Jesus as a loving Savior and not as a judge. So you don't have to meet him this way. This is really a call. This is God's love for us. He's saying, I'm telling you what's going to happen, so don't let this happen to you. I don't want to have to be your judge, but I'm going to judge the world. But I don't want to have to do it this way to you. So repent. See me. See what I did for you in sending Jesus. See how you don't have to suffer that heat, that blaze, that fire. You don't have to suffer that. I sent Jesus for you. So repent. And maybe there's someone here this morning. And you think that you're going to make it through and you can live however you want. The God of the universe is lovingly saying to you, you can't. There's going to be a day when I'm going to come back as a judge. But you don't have to be judged. If you'll repent, if you'll turn to me, if you'll see what I did for you on the cross and turn your life over to me, I will forgive your sin. It's an invitation. That's what a loving God does. He just gives the facts, but they're loving facts. But then he says this in verse 2. He gives the facts and the destruction that's going to come for the wicked. But then he says, This is the delight and this is the destiny for those who are righteous. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. This is another fact of the future. There is a day coming where everything that has been hurt in your life everything that's been broken in your life will be made right god's coming back as a righteous son and righteousness sets things right there's a future healing that is coming for us who know jesus christ and again he uses unbelievable imagery to help us see the future for us who know Jesus so we can delight in it and we can see this is our destiny for those of us who know Jesus. God's coming back and he's going to come back for, as a judge to the wicked or he's coming back as savior and comforter and healer and he's rising. He says, as a, as, but, be, but for those of you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise. With healing in its wings. You ever had a really dark day? And then the sun comes up. And you're like, I think I'm going to make it. Look at that sun. That feels good. That's the way he's talking about. Righteousness is going to rise. And the beams of that are just going to be like, yes. It's going to bring healing in its wings. There's a scene in the movie The Hobbit where... Bilbo Baggins, is—he's the, the trolls have taken the horses and they're going to eat them. And so Bilbo and these, all these little guys are running over there to, to uh, try to rescue these little horses. And these giant ugly trolls are five times their size and they're trying to eat them. And they're, it's, it's dark in the night and they're trying to figure out what to do and how to, how to save these horses and then the trolls turn around, and they start seeing them, and they, start, they capture them. And so this huge, long scene of these 13 guys trying to survive not getting eaten by these trolls. And they're just trying to figure out everything that they can figure out, and it's getting more intense and more intense. And the trolls got one upside down, and he's about ready to eat them. And all of a sudden, Gandalf comes in. This bright light appears, and he steps aside, and the sunbeams fly out, and all the trolls just freeze. And they're free. That is the picture of what is going to happen for us who are believers, who follow Jesus. The sun of righteousness is going to rise. And all the things that are bothering you, all the struggles that you're dealing with, it's just going to be like this rising sun. And the beams are going to shoot out. And all things that are messed up will be made right for us. That's our hope. And sometimes that happens for us quickly, doesn't it? Sometimes it just happens and boom, we need everything fixed. And we can see Jesus do that. But sometimes, sometimes we struggle and it's difficult and it's dark. We're going through hard times. It's like you're sitting, waiting for the sun to rise. It just takes a long time to get up there. My cousin is a teacher in Barrow, Alaska, which is the farthest city in north america it's on the highest part of alaska It's right at the tip and for 65 days the sun does not shine in barrow alaska but it comes out at the end of january how would you like to live where it's constantly dark for 65 days it's dreary it's difficult it's hard that's kind of how life is, isn't it, sometimes? It's dreary. It's difficult. We want the light to shine. But just this week in Borough, Alaska, the sun came up, and her Facebook post was, The sun is back. That's a huge deal when the sun comes up and breaks into our lives. That's what's our destiny, and that's the delight. That's the picture. So I hope you're feeling something. The the Holy Spirit wrote these things, not just to be of known facts, but he he wrote with vivid imagery to make us not just know it, but to feel it and to long for it and to expect it. One day, the sun of righteousness will rise, and it'll be like the sun is just going to clear everything out. Everything will be bright. Everything that's dark for you right now will be made bright and never to be dark again. That's the future hope we have for those who follow Jesus Christ. And he goes, you know what? There's not it's just like that. It's also like some little calf who's been caged up for a very long time. When Jesus comes back to make all things right and the son of righteousness rises. It's it's like the sun coming up and everything being right and good and clear and great. You know that feeling? It's also like a caged animal who's let free out of the cage. And when when he's free out of the cage, he starts hopping around, he's dancing around, he's, he's just kicking and screaming in joy. That's what it's like. That's what it'll be like for those of us who know Jesus in the end. He is like the sun who clears everything up for us and warms us up when we're really struggling. He's like the sun, it'll be like the sun, it'll never go dark again. It's like being a caged up animal and being freed and enjoying it. That's what's going to happen at the end when I come back. So maybe this morning you are a weary saint who's struggling through. I'd encourage you to go back. This is a God of love. And he says, this is what's going to happen for us in the end when I come. It's going to be like the sun. It's going to be like being free. I would encourage you to sit down and think hard about those truths. It's the delight and destiny for us of the righteous. This is a loving, good God that's coming back for us. How does all this display even more God's love? Verse 4 says, kind of changes towards the end. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, which is the same, it's another word for Mount Sinai, where Moses got the Ten Commandments. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rule. God is loving. He's telling these people, listen, there's going to be a day. At their time, when they were not following God, the people of Malachi's time, they they thought God was going to see them through. He did not come through like they thought. And so God gave this prophecy, said, listen, don't give up. I'm coming back. There's going to be a day, and it's going to be like the rising of the sun. I am going to send somebody. But he's getting ready to go quiet for 470 years. God's not going to communicate and send a prophet. He's not going to communicate for 470 years. So he's closing up what he wants to say here at the end of the Old Testament. I mean, 470 years is a long time. It's like we would not hear from God from, since the 1600s. It's a long time. So God says this to him at the end. It's a little different. Remember the law of my servant. Why would he say that? Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all my sin. This is a remember It's not just to have it in our head. It's a command. It's an imperative. Remember and act upon it. Why would he do that? How does that display the love of God? It displays the love of God because the law that God gave to Moses, if people followed the law, if they followed the word of God all the way through into the New Testament, that would lead them to Jesus. If you follow the truths of God's word, he's saying, remember this. If you keep following my word, it's going to lead you into the right way. I'm lovingly telling you this. So don't just know it in your head. Believe it in your heart and follow them. Because if you follow the the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses that I gave to my people, if you follow it and keep following it, it's going to lead you to Jesus, our ultimate hope. Remember Nicodemus, which we just read about? Nicodemus is a pharisee he's a ruler of the jews he had grown up reading scripture he'd been learned in these things he was a teacher it says in john 3 that we just read he was a teacher of the law and so i can just picture Nicodemus spending his life reading all these old testament prophecies, he's reading the scrolls and he's hearing about this guy named jesus who's walking around doing miracles and saying all kinds of things and as he's reading these scrolls and he's thinking about these things He'll read something like, "Wow, that that something like this Jesus guy. It's, there's some connection going on." So I'm going to go meet him at nighttime. And so Nicodemus goes at night, didn't he? Talk to Jesus. And Jesus starts talking to him about the truth, and Nicodemus, Jesus says, "You're you're a ruler of the Jews, and you don't know these things because he wasn't remembering and following the truth." And Nicodemus said, "Well, I." I, I I think he was probably thinking, the reason I'm here is because I keep reading, and I'm, I'm a ruler of the Jews, and I'm, I'm reading the Old Testament, and there's something about you that I need to find out more about. And he comes to Jesus openly, asking questions, trying to figure out what called him to see Jesus. I think it was the fact that he knew the Scriptures. And I think he couldn't get away from the fact that as he studied the Scriptures That pointed him and drew him to Jesus because the scriptures all point to Jesus. And Nicodemus was able to go see Jesus and Jesus would say, listen, here's what else you need to know. That if you follow me, I'll rescue you. And when Jesus died, it says in John that Nicodemus was the one who took his body down with Josephus Arimathea and put it in the grave. Nicodemus, that was a radical to do here's this pharisee of the pharisees this leader of the jews the ones that wanted to kill jesus yet nicodemus i believe knew scripture and he pointed it and he followed it to jesus and at the end nicodemus went and took jesus's body down and buried it that was a bold statement of a believer of the truth that displays the love of god trust god's word following god's word will point us to Jesus and we have that responsibility. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to remember and act on those things that we know. Trusting God's word, he's good and he's loving. So what he says to you in his word that is hard or difficult, he's saying it to you because he is going to come back as the son of righteousness he's going to make all things right and so the crazy things that you feel god's calling you to do as you read scripture and it doesn't make sense to you follow it because he's leading you to where he wants you to be and we have a responsibility to follow that that displays god's love and then it says behold i will send you elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the lord All through the Old Testament, all through the Bible, there's this talking about the day of the Lord. There's all these different days of the Lord. They're not separate. It's like a sequence of events of one big day. And these people, when Malachi wrote this, he was writing to this group of people and saying, there's a day coming for you personally that you have to turn. There have been different days of the Lord all through Scripture, but they are really one day. It's one full revelation of God, one sequence of events that will ultimately be the judgment, and the return of Christ. But there have always, there have been these numerous days of the Lord, but ultimately there are sequences of one event. And this is referring to the coming of Jesus. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. I'm sending you a prophet like Elijah. And Jesus says, that is John the Baptist. Matthew eleven fourteen says, For all the prophets, and Jesus was talking for all the prophets, and the law prophesied until John. And Jesus said about John the Baptist, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus was talking about. Elijah, God has always sent a prophet like Elijah. There's a prophet that's going to come and tell us and say, there's, he's going to introduce the next thing in my plan. And so God says in this passage very lovingly, listen, this is not the end. For behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet. Someone's going to prepare the way. And John the Baptist was the one who came and prepared the way for Jesus at the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it was a great and awesome day when Jesus came. In the Bible, when it talks about the awesome day of the Lord, there's always judgment in that, and then there's joy. Anytime there's a day of the Lord, there's one who, who follow God in joy, or the ones who suffer the judgment. And even when Jesus came, and still today, there are people who either see Jesus as a judgment, and they don't want to follow him, or are those who accept him and receive him with great joy. But this is what he's going to do. That's a gift to us. That God and his love would bridge the gap for us. He would say to you, listen, I want to turn things around. And this prophet will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. The thing that God does, because he's such a loving God, is he reunites And so the nation of Israel that had strayed away from God, and even though there were some who followed him, and they went a long time of silence, they weren't following God, then Jesus broke in on the scene, and he reunited them. And he reunites generations of people. This is what God does. That's grace to us. He turns and bridges the gap. That's a display of God's love for you. So if you're in a situation, and you're a Christian, And there's animosity or there's struggle. The grace of God is that he has reunited people and wants to reunite people. And he does it through Jesus. The gospel is what you need. The gospel will do that for you. That's God's grace on you. We rebels before God. His creation who went our own way and caused great division, great strife between us and God. He could have wiped us out. But he said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to reunite you to me, and then I'm going to give you the ability to reunite yourselves with each other through Jesus by grace. That is a gift of a loving God to us. And then lastly, he says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What does "lest" mean? It means it, it doesn't have to happen. This is what's going to happen, but we don't want it to happen. So if you will turn, if you'll change, then the judgment's not going to come. These words at the end of Malachi, even though just a quick reading of them seem like a lot of doom, gloom, judgment, and curse, are really... A great and loving God who's telling people, listen, I don't want this to be you. It's going to happen because I have to judge the wicked. But I don't want it to be you. So you're hearing this today because I'm, I'm sending you to be a church this morning. That if you don't know Jesus, I don't want it to be you. So if you will turn to me and you will follow me, if you'll see me as the Savior, if you'll see yourself as sinful, if you'll see Jesus as your hope, who can bridge the gap between you and him, and turn to him, and repent, the judgment's not going to come on you. I'll come not as your judge, but as the Son of Righteousness with healing in my wings. And we as believers are given the gift to also tell this. We get to say this lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. We have been given the gift to tell other people. Listen, the good news of the gospel is I I don't want this to happen to you. So we don't have to shy away from the dark, shady things of Scripture that people think we're crazy about. We actually can say, you know what, yes, I believe God's coming back. I believe that he's going to judge the world someday. And you know what? I would be without hope in that belief. But guess what? The good news is Jesus came. He lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death I couldn't die. He took all my sins on the cross. He forgave me. me. He's, He's going to come back for me. And he can do the same thing for you. This is good news for you. So I want to tell you about the good news of Jesus. That is a God of unbelievable Love, the dark facts don't shade, but they shout the love of God. So rejoice. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, listen, the fact is, God's coming back as a judge, but He's telling you right now, you don't have to see Him that way. You can repent, see Jesus for who He is, ask him to come into your life, and He'll forgive you, and he'll be your savior. If you're weary, and you're struggling in your Christian life, and things are really hard and dark right now, encourage yourself with the fact that there will be a day where it won't be like that. All the wrongs will be made right. And then rejoice in that. And then tell others. Tell others the truth of Jesus, that God is a God of love, who sent his Son for them, so that we have this gift of grace to share with the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are a good and great God. Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus for us to give us hope. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up hearts and minds to the truth of your Son. Lord, help them to see Jesus as desirable and the only person who can satisfy the deep longings of their heart. Lord, thank you for those of us who know you. God, help us not to get discouraged or grow weary in well-doing, Help us to remember that there's a day coming when you will make things all right and the sun will rise for eternity. God, help us to encourage ourselves in your word. And God, give us the grace to be able to share it lovingly with the world that needs it. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.